0: For me, it meant being my own boss, owning my own business, working my hours that I wanted to work. And of course, as an entrepreneur, I've chosen instead of working an eight hour day, I choose to work a 12 or 14 hour day. So Mm it doesn't mean you're going to work less, but it means maybe you don't have to be there at eight o'clock in the morning and you can get there at 10 in the morning but you work till 10 o'clock at night because you got to do what you got to do.
1: Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Class is in
0: session about to learn a lesson in the game. We embrace the pain, take it and we make some change. Without with scarcity,
1: I don't know where I be
0: and now it's your turn.
1: Let's Welcome to the University of Adversity. So one of the number one things I get asked all the time is, Lance, when are you going to launch a podcast course? When can I learn to do what you do? So now the time has finally come and I've partnered up with another fellow podcaster, Julian Guterle from Green Planet, Blue Planet, We have over 400 episodes combined, reached multiple tens of thousands of people and impacted a lot of lives. We decided to come together and create an eight-week program. We're going to do eight 90-minute calls throughout the process. We're going to break down how it all works from start to finish. Podcasting is an interesting game right now. A lot of people fail because they don't get the right information in the beginning and they either quit because they underestimate the amount of work it takes or they just don't know what they're doing. So we want to provide you something so that you can learn from the mistakes we made, start it off hitting the ground running and actually have success. So having an eight week program where we're going to have a small group, 10 to 12 people, we're going to be able to talk. We're going to be able to communicate and really figure out what questions you have, what's stopping you and how to break through any barriers like that. So you're going to be able to launch this thing feeling amazing and confident. And not only that, it's a community feel. So it's always better to have a support group around you when doing something like this. And I believe this will be a life-changing opportunity. So we're looking for 10 to 12 people. If you're interested or you feel called to this, I highly recommend checking it out. You can find on my Instagram, lance.esios, It's in the bio, the top one. It says, launch your own podcast course. If you click on there, it'll give you all the information and then we can hop on a call and answer any questions that you have. So I highly suggest if you're feeling called to start a podcast, but if you don't have the tools, the resources, you don't know how to do it, this is perfect for you. We'll help you the entire way to start and launch your podcast so it can be successful. So if you're feeling called, check it out. Link is in the bio on my Instagram, or if you feel like you want more information beforehand, send me a DM. Happy to answer any questions or email me anytime. Have a great day, everybody. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. If this is your first time here, you picked a great episode to join us. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. You guys, I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode today. We got a very special guest joining us. He is the inventor of the infomercial. He is also the original shark on the famous TV show, Shark Tank, and as seen on TV, Pioneer, and is one of the most successful entrepreneurs of our time. This guy has been an entrepreneur since way before entrepreneurship was cool. He was doing it back in the day when things were a lot more challenging. It wasn't as easy to become an entrepreneur as it is today. I know entrepreneur gets thrown around a lot lately, everybody wants to be one, but not everybody understands the work that it takes. When I got into entrepreneurship, I didn't understand it either. I think we have this this expectation that it's just going to be super easy, we're just going to press a button and things are going to happen, and it's just not like that. So if entrepreneurship isn't something that you're in for the long haul, if you're not willing to put in the work and the time, then it's probably not a good idea, right? But today we, we interview one of the legends, one of the pioneers and he's going to walk us through his story and we're going to get into some really awesome tips, what he recommends and what he recommends not to do. So this is a shorter episode. We did this in about 30 minutes. So I jam packed it as much as I could in that period of time. And I really hope you guys get value from it. If you did get value, I really appreciate a review on Apple. Um, I'm really trying to look to grow those reviews and when you subscribe it's also free and you get you stay on top of all the episodes on Apple. If you listen to the other platforms that's great as well, but I always like to just encourage you guys to leave a review if you got value or share it with somebody whatever you can do. You guys, I'm really this once in a while we get one of these legends come in and join us and I want to keep working on bringing more of these legends that have created and paved such a way for us to join us on the show. So, I really really hope you enjoy it. In fact, I know you will. Okay? sit back relax Kevin Harrington coming right up and we are on Kevin Harrington thank you so much for joining us today man great to be here thank you man I
0: love it Lance thank you
1: I appreciate it and you know there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this including myself and you have done such an amazing job over the years you know with what you've been able to create and I'm just really excited to kind of dive into your story and kind of how that all got started And maybe where we can start is, I know you come from um, a big family, an entrepreneurial family. Your dad had a restaurant. I did some uh, research and I wanted to kind of learn about you growing up. But I would love if you could walk us through, what was it like for you growing up in that big family, having a father that had a restaurant, and maybe what are some of the lessons that you learned along the way that had some impact on your life later on?
0: Yeah, so pretty crazy stuff. I was the fourth of six kids, big Catholic Irish family. Um, and there's six of eight of us lived in this little house, um, that had two bathrooms. So I, I never, I always remember being the fourth. I, I got the fourth shot at the shower in the morning mm-hmm. and usually it was cold. Okay. So the yes. hot water was gone. My parents were up, the brothers and sisters older than me, I'm left. You know it's like at the dinner table you had to move fast right, right. and so when my dad um, he opened up Harrington's Irish pub um, and he said you, you know you, you're gonna work you're gonna come in and I would go in after school and I, I I'd get in and they're like at four work till ten six-hour block And I'd do that a couple days, three, four days a week, and then weekends I'd be there all day. Saturday I was working a forty-hour week at the age of eleven for a dollar an hour, and so my father would say, and I just you know like I was a very trusting young kid, and my dad would say, "Look, you got to," he says, "You can't be trusting uh, anymore. We're, We're in business, and so people." are, you know, inherently they can be dishonest. So you have to set up controls. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, look, you'll see this in a matter of weeks, you're going to see. So one night we're leaving the place at, at, at the end of the night and the chef is carrying uh, the garbage out to the garbage. And And my dad looks at him like, dude, you're a chef. Why are you taking the garbage out? He's like, oh, I just, there was one last load I thought, Somebody should take it out. My dad said, Let me see what's in there. He had steaks and chops. And I mean, just, I'm like, they fired him on the spot, obviously, but he should have had him arrested. I mean, the guy was stealing hundreds of dollars. About a week later, the bus boy is stealing silverware. And so then, so I'm thinking, okay, employees, they're, you know, this is, you got to be careful. And the bartenders are giving away free drinks and so he's my dad says hey look the beer truck guy delivering beer count the kegs of beer because I've got to be running around I just you don't trust anybody so so the guy brings in you know he's bringing in the kegs of beer and I'm counting two kegs of beer four kegs of beer of course he's taking the empties back to the truck so we're at you know 12 kegs of beer and as the guy's going back to the truck my dad walks through the kitchen he says wait a minute you What's under that keg right there? He said, what do you mean? I'm taking the empty kegs back to the truck. Well, the front top one was, was empty. The bottom one was loaded. He's bringing in two full ones, taking out one full one and one empty, getting over on an 11-year-old kid, right? Wow. Well, my, I said to my dad, how did you know that, that, that there was a full keg that he was stealing from you? He said it, it was sweating. I could tell that it was full. So these are the things, I mean, th- th- needless to say, i did not want to be a restaurateur after seeing all of this at 11. i worked there for a number of years and i saw everything i mean Mm. it was crazy but i just realized that from employees to suppliers to delivery people you have to have controls and these folks they'll steal from you so i mean it's unfortunate thing about business but it, it it that's was ingrained in me early on and i had always had the attitude I trust everyone until they prove me wrong. And my dad almost had the attitude that he didn't trust anyone until they prove him right. So maybe it's somewhere in between there. But the bottom line is being an entrepreneur, it, it, it's, it's very risky. And you got you to, gotta, you know, know that you got controls in place for all sides of your business.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I worked in that industry many years as well. A Bartender, server, all that stuff. Yeah. And I saw all that stuff go on. And it's, it's crazy. And this is the thing. And I I really love that you brought that up kind of like in the middle between trusting and not trusting anybody because you kind of have to have a a degree of trust, but you, you can't be a sucker, right? Right. Where do you, how does that, how did that affect you as far as later on as being too far untrustworthy? And like, did that kind of bite you in the ass at all? And you had to sort of like pull back a bit, like, because Those are powerful lessons to learn young.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, but my dad was my first mentor. In fact, after a few years of making a buck an hour working for him, this was back, by the way, in the 70s. So, I'm aging myself here a little bit. So, you know, 40 some years ago. But my dad said, Kevin, you're not going to get rich at a buck an hour. And like, so, you need to start your own business. And I was 15 and that's when I, I started a driveway ceiling business. And, um, knocking on doors, driving up on my bicycle and, and I, and people, I'm busy. You know, what are you bothering me at dinner time for? I'm like, oh, I I completely understand. I'm sorry. Just those, see that crack out there, sir. When it freezes, the water gets in there in the winter and it freezes, it's going to triple the size of that crack. Your driveway is going to look like crap when you come back in the spring. I just wanted to tell you how we could solve those problems for you. Happy to come back. He's like, well, wait a minute can you stay? Okay. And so like I'm selling 10 of those a week at the age of 15. And, and that was for, you know, during high school. And then when I got into college, I, my dad didn't give me any, I mean, I paid my own way through high school. I bought my own cars, my own insurance. I moved out of the house when I was in high school, had my own apartment. because I was making money. Then I went to college Got an apartment at University of Cincinnati, but I needed a full-time income. I had tuition, books, you know, cars, insurance, utilities, everything. I needed a a very substantial income because not only living, but paying for college. And so I needed something year round. I started a heating and air conditioning company because I could do furnaces in the winter and air conditioning systems in the summer, year round business. But Mm -hmm. I've been an entrepreneur for 40 years and uh, and, and this was all pre-Shark Tank and pre-getting into uh, um, in the infomercial as seen on TV business where I really hit it big.
1: Yeah, you were the entrepreneur before it was trendy. Before it was, I think so, yeah. yeah. In
0: fact, I actually was one of the co-founders of the Entrepreneurs Organization in wow. 1987 because we all, a group of us got together, put some money into an account, formed the company. It's a nonprofit. It's the world's largest entrepreneurial organization called EO in 155 cities and more than 50 countries.
1: That's, it's incredible because what I notice as well is there's a lot of talk about everybody's an entrepreneur these days, right? And where do you see people getting mixed up with that word? Like, what is an entrepreneur and how has it changed from back then to now? Because you know, I think a lot of people go into it thinking that they can just press a button and everything's going to get automated for them. I think that's the expectation. And how do you see that? And how do you, like, how are things, how have they changed over the years as far as, you know, how you look at the word entrepreneur?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, for me, it meant being my own boss, owning my own business, working my hours that I wanted to work. And of course, as an entrepreneur I've chosen instead of working an eight hour day I choose to work a 12 or 14 hour day so it doesn't mean you're going to work less but it means maybe you don't have to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning and you can get there at 10 in the morning but you work till 10 o'clock at night because you got to do what you got to do because I I had night calls in many of my businesses selling you know the packages that we you know the home services uh, companies from air conditioning and whatever so um, but I think today, sometimes I think people just don't understand all of the processes, right? So like, you know, I was on Shark Tank. I took 175, did 175 segments on Shark Tank and people would come out and like, I've got this idea and I want $250,000 for 10%. And I'm like, okay, are there any sales? No sales. It's just an idea. Okay. Well, okay. What's the idea? And then they tell me, and I'm like, look, the the idea is usually only worth this much. It's the execution, the raising of the capital The you know, so I would then, okay. So you got an idea. Do you have a marketing plan? Okay. You want two fifty dollars from me. How are you going to use the money? Oh, well that's for me. I'm going to use that. I'm going to, that's my cash. Okay. You're going to put up the money to build the business. Then I'm like, no, no, there's a big disconnect here. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, if I'm putting up money, you know, the money needs to be available to run the business, to fund the marketing plan, to do the things that we need to do. It's like they want to have their exit right on the front end without any work. And and really, I, as much as I loved some of the Shark Tank entrepreneurs and their passion and their knowledge, there was about half of them that needed to just be thrown out of there because they they didn't really deserve to get any money and they certainly weren't going to get any from me and in many cases they didn't get any from anybody because they didn't they weren't far enough along didn't realize what it was going to take you need a business plan you need you need capital and you need to go raise the capital and so they're just looking for an easy way out and that's part of the challenge today and i and i think that it it sometimes comes off as as, oh, just being an entrepreneur, just get out there and someone's going to give you the money to do it. No, you, you really need to work hard.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's so true. Where, how did you guys determine what's a good idea versus like an idea that sucks? Because in the beginning, sometimes these ideas seem crazy, but then, you know, but then they end up being these ones that be successful. And then some of the ones up front look like a good idea but end up not being successful. Like what is, what is your, do you go with your gut? Do you go with the person? Like what's that process? Are Uh, you influenced by the other people there? Like I always wonder, like how does that work?
0: I mean, in the early days we didn't know enough. So we just had to go with our gut because someone would pitch me, um, you know, they would pitch, you know, a a houseware product. Okay. And and housewares is a good category. Hardware is a good category fitness is a good category. But it, it you know, if somebody um, pitched me a product, these are the things that I look for. And I, it's, it, I, I can give you, I have 12 steps to a perfect pitch. It could take me an hour to do that. Okay, so we don't have time today. But I'm going to give you a couple of the key things that sure. I look for. Number one, you have to, when you're making a pitch, got to get their attention because if they're not listening, they're not going to invest. So if you think about like, oxyclean the cleaning product billy mays he's eating a meatball sandwich grease drips on a shirt this is three seconds Uh uh-oh has this ever happened to you you got my attention and now there's a problem grease on a shirt going into a meeting what are you going to do introducing oxyclean so you start with it's called the tease you tease them up front with an attention getting problem then you please them with the solutions to the problem using Um, demonstrations testimonials and magical transformations that is important magical transformations I look for products businesses or services that can have a magical transformation but it also and this is the please side you're solving the problem transforming things getting testimonials but I want to know and this is the key defining thing I look for Is your product, service, or business unique enough such that the problem that it solves is unique enough such there's no other product or service or business that solves that problem in a similar fashion, okay? Is your product, business, or service unique enough such that it solves the problem, the unique aspect? So we tease them by getting their attention with a problem. We solve the problem by giving uniqueness that nothing else is solving, using magical transformations, using um, testimonials and, an, an, and a you know a, a powerful demonstration, and then you seize them. Seize by giving them an irresistible offer. So tease, please, and seize. And irresistible offer is the most important part of all of it because you could have the greatest product that's unique does all the amazing things. It's magically transformational. It's unique in its propositions. It's it's ev- everything that you thought it was, but then the the deal doesn't make any sense. It's It should be $20 and they want 80 bucks, okay? Or somebody comes out on Shark Tank, I want a million dollars for 10% of my company. What are your sales? Zero. You're not going to get a million, okay? Yeah. You may not get anything, right? So some people just screw up that last step of making the offer irresistible and this is what i was part of creating you know we would sell we were selling the ginsu knife mm-hmm. and the ginsu knife was 14.95 order right now we'll give you a second ginsu knife absolutely free okay and 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 if you order within the next 30 minutes we'll give you six free steak knives a paring knife etc so these are the the irresistible items that you're adding because they now have to pick up the phone. You've made it to the point where they they just can't resist to place Mm -hmm. that order, right? Mm -hmm. So tease them, please them, seize them, and close with an irresistible offer.
1: How important is it to study your competition? Like, do you see that as something because let's say your offer, your business is unique but there's other people around you yeah. doing things. And on social media, it, cannot, it, can, it can kind of discourage you or it can empower you to sort of be like, yeah.
0: all right. In, in, in my 12-step formula, one of the steps is, is that you must do a competitive analysis. Mm. Okay. This kind of hinges on the unique aspects. Right. So it's, in other words, I say, is your product unique? Well, we need a competitive analysis to find out. Okay. So, so a competitive analysis is something that an investor wants. I, I want like, I just recently invested in a roofing company. Now I'm not talking about a company that puts tiles in new roofs. They have a spray that prolongs the life of your roof by 10 years. So it's, and I did all the research. This is a unique company. There is nobody out there in the marketplace doing this. They have started two years ago. They've grown to $20 million from dead zero on their way to $100 million at 240 dealers. I invested in this company because they are unique and they do what nobody else does. And we found out all of this through a competitive analysis. Very important.
1: Awesome. Good to know. So, okay. Also, I want to, I want to talk about, you've been able to do a lot of different things and I want to know your level of belief. Like how many times have people told you you're crazy? Like how many times have you come up with an idea, but you had to power through and just believe because so many people quit before they even start. Yeah. You know, where's your perspective on, on that? I mean, you know, because what's your degree of belief in these things and how, how important has that been?
0: You know, I think at the end of the day, the good news is I always listen ultimately to myself, okay? So, because I've made enough good decisions. Now, I do change my mind after listening to other people's quite often, but I'm going to give you an example of where the people said I was completely crazy. Um, I don't have the product here to show you, but one day a carpenter walks into my office and he's got the lumberjack look, the beard, and... His hair is all over the place. And, he, and I'm like, hey, dude, how you doing? What do you, what do you got? He says, well, look, I'm a carpenter. I saw all day long and all the sawdust is in my hair at the end of the day. I take a vacuum cleaner and I suck out all the, the sawdust out of my hair at the end of the day. And he said, you know, one day I'm looking, I'm seeing that the hair standing up on top of my head and I'm with, from the vacuum. And I'm saying to myself, if there was a pair of scissors right there, it could cut the hair and take it into the vacuum and be done with it. Right. And so I said, So what are you talking about? He says, So I've invented an item that sucks the hair off your head, cuts it, and takes it into the vacuum cleaner. And it's called the Flow Bee. I got to ask you, Lance, have you ever heard of the Flow No. Okay. You got to Google I it. I wish I so, had, though. All right. So, me, I'm <laughs> the guy that did the Flow So I take this product around to my people in my office, and everyone is laughing at me. In fact, we had distributors around the world. I sent it over to my distributor in Japan. They said, Kevin, this is never going to work. You're crazy if you're going to invest money in this. And But little did they all know at the time, he had been selling this at trade shows, right? He showed me videos of families coming into his booth. He'd cut the kid's hair and they'd buy it. And and this thing was 100 plus dollars. So it wasn't cheap. So I said, look, you've proven, you've got proof of concept this works so we did the infomercial and it did over a hundred million dollars in sales and it became the number one selling product in japan believe it or not when they told me it was no way that it was going to work so bottom line is i look for things i look for proof of concepts i sometimes we'll do a focus group today we can put an item like that up on the internet and just get a bunch of feedback and find out what everybody says so it's the the digital testing methods we call it test before we invest are available to us before we invest and that's one of the things that we do in today's
1: world Mm.
0: but that product google it you'll see it's still around you can still buy it um it had its run in the earlier days the pet flow became a big hit also cutting the hair of pets
1: do you just? How do you get these ideas? Like, do you sit and brainstorm, or do they just come to you and you write them down? Or, you oh. know, when these ideas come, like, how do you make turn them into a reality? Because yeah. you know, we all get these crazy ideas that they yeah. may seem crazy, but they're actually not. But we just don't do them. You know, like, how oh. does that happen for you?
0: So, I mean, I started going to trade shows in 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 back in the early '80s. So I'd go to the houseware show and. You know, I'm walking booth to booth to booth, and hey, there's a big crowd around that booth over there. What's that guy got? I go over. It's, a, it's called the V slicer. It's this, it's this slicer that most slicers had blades that are slanted. And as the yeah. tomato's coming through there, it shoots it off to the side. With the V shaped blade, it focuses as you're slicing the tomatoes and it slices unbelievable. I took that guy right off the floor. And took him back to my studio, shot the infomercial, and it cost me $10,000 to shoot it. And it did $350 million in sales. So, I mean, you think I like trade shows? I like trade shows. So, the housework show, the hardware show, the fitness show, the beauty show, the toy fair, the golf show. I, I go to the golf show. I'm sitting there. Davis Love is swinging a club. And I'm like, hey, Davis, man, that's cool. He says, here, you swing. And I go to swing it and it had a hinge in it and it flopped and I couldn't complete the swing. He said, I said, well, I can't complete the swing. He says, cause you're jerking the club the wrong way. When you groove your swing the right way, you can complete the swing and hit the ball. And it's called the Medicus golf club. I said, this is amazing. I did the first ever golf infomercial. It did $250 million. So <laughs> think I like trade shows? So the beauty shows, the hardware shows. I go to the hardware show. This guy's got this saw with two blades. One runs this way, and the other one runs counterclockwise. I said, what do you call that? He said, it's called the dual saw, two blades. Why do you have two blades? Well, one blade, it hits, and it kicks back, and it's jumping all over the place. Two blades goes right through like a hot knife through butter. We demoed this thing. Did a huge business with it. It was an amazing success. Hardware show. So I go to a lot of trade shows. People pitch me. I get pitches all day long. I mean, you and I are talking right now on a podcast. I take pitches like this, not every single day, but some days I'll take 8, 10, 15, 20 pitches. You just never know. So um, it's a beautiful business. I love getting pitched. There's one time that I don't. And that's when I'm on a massage table and I had a masseuse try to pitch this masseuse. I sat, laid down this, this, it was actually a man. And he says, Oh my God, I get the shark for an hour to be able to pitch you for solid hour. I said, I got up. I said, I'll tell you what, if you're going to pitch me, I'm not going to stay because I'm, I'm paying you to massage me, not pitch me. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you three minutes after the massage to give me a pitch. But
1: no, no, no more. Okay.
0: So it, <laughs> you got to get away sometimes.
1: I can imagine you got so many people trying to pitch you on stuff all the time too. go to
0: dinner, jump in a taxi. <laughs> the, doesn't matter where you are. And by the way, when I go to the trade shows, just walking down the aisles, people are, are coming to pitch, but mm. you know, I like people that are aggressive. I don't have a problem with that. It's just, yeah. I can't always talk to them, but sometimes it's a, it's a later time or a later call or a later, Zoom video, as we're doing right now. said Zoom has made it easy for all of us to connect.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I uh, what I want to I want to just dive into this one spot here. Just being with University of adversity, and you know, I talk to a lot of people about the struggles that they've gone through, and some have gone through worse than others. What is something, maybe past or present, a struggle that you've gone through that? has the, had the most impact on your life today?
0: Well, uh, okay. So go, I'm going to have to go back a few years. I was Mm -hmm. sitting, we had a company was doing, uh, my business was at a hundred million a year in sales. Mm -hmm. And so we're doing 2 million a week in sales. And I had, I had about um, 15 products on the air. So all of it through one company doing great, thought we were really powerful. So 15 products, um, I had one item that we were having big problems with the factory. They were making a terrible quality item, and so they shipped me ten thousand pieces. A couple thousand of them were defective, but we didn't find this out until we shipped them. So, because you know, I get them in, put a label on it, ship it out. I, I don't in- open every box and inspect it. We do do a little quality over in the, over in the factory. But make a long story short, I'm. I ship out the 10,000, 2,000 of them are defective. I'm getting all these nasty complaints. People are calling, they're, call, they're calling the banks, They're, you know. So all of a sudden, one day, um, the, uh, my banker walks in, and he says, I got bad news. We've just withdrawn $2 million out of your account. And I'm like, what do you mean? I said, I, first of all, it was nice that we had 2 million in there, but it was only a little bit over 2 million. They basically wiped us out. And I said, well, Under what circumstances are you doing this? We have the right to do it. Look at your contract. And they left me with $150,000 to run a $100 million business. The two million was my cash flow. It was my media dollars. It was my inventory dollars. It was my payroll. I couldn't make payroll the next week. So um, and so, this is what we learned. And this was the adversity that turned us into smart people. I said, when we analyzed it, I said, I said to the bank, look, we've got 15 products. There's one item that represents 3% of our business that is causing 100% of your problems at the bank. And they said, well, that's, that's unfortunate, but it's caught the attention of the top people at the bank. And they, the, you know, if they're going to keep doing business with you, they need to have some higher reserves. So... But, but so then, what I did going forward is I separated each product into its own business. Because if one product's going to kill the company, they literally put us out of business, I, I can't allow that to happen. So I have, like right now, I have dozens and dozens and dozens of LLCs for different companies, different products, different this, different that. If you have a blow up inside an LLC, great, let it hurt that LLC. Don't let it touch the other twenty-five things you're doing that are fantastic. Okay, so um, I don't. I, I learned the hard way. Protect your assets, and and this has allowed me to be, uh, you know, to, to build much bigger companies now because we didn't get shut down along the way. So it's a powerful learning curve, and also you can raise capital on those individual assets. Plus, you can P and L. Those individual assets also, because they're, they're now separate companies with separate P&Ls, you can pay profits, and it's a much easier way to run your business. Learned quite a bit, and, and now we have, because of that, we, we wake up every day feeling good instead of wondering, we're going to lose our company today. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: uh, that's a huge lesson. Where, what are you working on now? Where can everybody find you and learn more about you if they haven't yet, if they want to follow so, you on your journey? working on a lot of great stuff.
0: I have a new book coming out, um, it's called mentor to millions. And, um, I would, I mean, what we're talking about here this whole time is, is really, you know, what, how do you prevent bad things from happening? What are some of the worst things that happen? And this is why we use mentors in our life. My father was my first mentor. I had Zig Ziglar as a mentor, Richard Branson as a mentor, Tony Robbins, Russell Brunson, I've had some of the best mentors in the world coaching me and mentoring me. And that's why I wrote the book because that's what the entrepreneurs organization was all about was creating mentoring programs for every single person that joined. So they got a mentorship, a board of advisors when they joined, it was, it was very powerful. So, um, and so the the bottom line is in my book, in Mentor to Millions, and I'm going to give them a. They can go to KevinMentor.com and find out more about that book. It's going to be out shortly, and and that's very powerful. I also um, I mentioned I think I think I mentioned the roofing business. That's a new business we invested in. Um, we've we've had some investments in the in the cannabis space. Um, it's you know this is going to be an industry that's going to go to twenty billion. Uh, and so I sit on um, nine public boards. So I, I love public companies and helping them. I raise capital for them and, and all those kinds of things. So, I mean, I think this time of my life, I'm a mentor to many companies. I join their boards. I mentor. I'm, I'm, I'm an advisor to many other companies. And I think this is just the way that, you know, I've had a lot of businesses over the last 40 years we've had some great success now i'm kind of focused in mentoring and helping entrepreneurs grow their business and if there's a place for me in there in the process so be it um but even in some cases we just wish them good luck and 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 go on so um and and so i think the 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 mentoring side is going to be kind of I, i say that i spent my first 30 years trying to figure out what i wanted to do um and then i got into infomercials at the end of that then i spent my next 30 years doing it building billions of dollars in businesses and now i'm spending my next 30 years helping entrepreneurs grow their business and that's the book mentored to millions and i hope folks can check it out also one other place KevinHarrington.tv. it's also a website that i have some uh, different things that people can check out free downloads and things like that. So
1: awesome. Yeah. Cool. One last question for you. If you could give one piece of advice, I know you've been asked this probably a million times for the entrepreneurs, the up and comers, the people that are going through, going through the hard times, the good times. What's one piece of advice that you could give for them to walk away with today?
0: I think the the piece of advice that I give to entrepreneurs is it's something that I learned kind of the hard way. And I mentioned early on I was just building my businesses and here we had this company with one merchant account. Um, I didn't have good advice. I didn't at the time, right? I have built an amazing dream team around myself. I know what my strengths are. I know what my weaknesses are. I've got digital gurus. I've got finance gurus. I've got legal gurus. I've, you know, I employ and, and I say employ either employ or partner with an amazing dream team of people that helps support me and my businesses. And so any entrepreneur that's gonna start, don't try it yourself alone the first time. Get some good advice, get a dream team, get an advisory board, get some coaches. Um, And if, you know, I I, I spend $200,000 a year on coaches and mentors for me. And so, and, and by the way, that gives me a lot of good information to bring to the people that I mentor and coach also. So it's important to surround yourself with a group of people that you have a lot of respect for and crush it in the process. So get that advisory board, that mentor team to help you build your business and be very, very successful. So awesome! my last tip of the day.
1: Thank you so much, man. I really, really appreciate it. You bet. Great to be here and
0: Look forward to, to tying in. We'll, we'll see you in Calgary sometime in the near future. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, good buddy. Drinking, everybody. Be, be good. Be safe. Thank Stay you, man. Healthy. I appreciate it. That was awesome. All right. Thank you, everybody. Please leave us a review on Apple if you can. And if you aren't already, hit that subscribe button on Apple. It's free. Just keeps you on top of all the episodes. As soon as they're, they come out, you'll be notified. And if you got value as well, share this with somebody. Tag us in a story, whatever you can do. Um, I really got a lot out of that quick conversation with Kevin, and I want to get all the sharks. That's my goal because I think, you know, talking about adversity, university of adversity, entrepreneurship. You that's what you're constantly going through. It's literally how can you handle adversity in these moments when you're feeling down, when you feel out? What keeps you going? What keeps you? What keeps you the, driving yourself every day? And I really believe that a successful entrepreneur knows exactly what it's like to overcome adversity. So I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did recording. Much love. Catch you next time. Have a great day.